Thanks for checking out this sermon from Redemption Church in Seattle, Washington, where we are enjoying Jesus, loving people, and making disciples. If you'd like to learn more about Redemption, you can go to redemptionchurchseattle.com. Or better yet, come be our guest on a Sunday here in Green Lake. Man, powerful testimony of God's grace and His, His goodness, even in the midst of really difficult time. Uh, my name is Drew. I'm one of the pastors here. Welcome. If you are a guest with us, we've been jumping into the book of Ruth, and today we wrap up the first chapter. This week I read an article. It was called This, A Therapist's Guide to Navigating Your Quarter-Life Crisis. Characterized by insecurity, loneliness, and disappointment, here's what it says, as many as six in ten millennials report feeling plagued by this identity crisis, with some studies estimating the numbers closer to 75%. It goes on to share that the overwhelming influence of technology and social media have left many with an unrealistic and delusional idea of what should be, and has led them to question who they are, how they're defined, what their purpose really is. The main push behind this being unhealthy comparisons to others and their circumstances. Have you ever felt this way? I know I have felt this way. I think it's much easier than we would like to admit that we can find ourselves in places of insecurity, disappointment, frustration, and anxiety when it comes to what defines us, or at least what others are telling us and what we've started to believe defines us. And so we can run to this belief that our, maybe our relational status is our main identity. I'm a mom, I'm a dad, I'm single, I'm married, or maybe it's our social status. I have this many Instagram followers, and so that's my identity. Or I got this many likes on a Facebook post that I put up, and we find some sort of identity there. Or your career status, what your job is, what your career is, what your job title is, how much money you make, the revenue coming in, that that starts to define you. The acquisition of things, your home, your car, your style, whatever it may be. And at times, it's our circumstance, as we see today in this passage, the idea that how things are is who I am. And if you've been there, which I would guess you have, because I think we're all there at times, I think we all kind of walk through life really wrestling with our identity, not just who we maybe know we are mentally, but who we actually believe we are at more of a heart level or how we go through day to day, how we identify ourselves or how others identify us. You know that this can be incredibly tiring. This can wear you out. It can be all consuming. It can be overwhelming. It can be frustrating. It can be depressing. And so what's the answer? How do we fight for what's true while still facing what's in front of us for better or for worse? Because we absolutely don't believe that the answer is when crisis comes or when difficulty comes or when something hard and challenging comes in our life that like a little kid trying to hide his toys from his parents, you push him into a closet, close the door and hope that it doesn't pop open. We don't believe that, and that's obviously not what God wants for us either. So what is the answer? How do we deal with what's in front of us, the chaos, the pain, the crisis, the dilemmas, the doubts, and still fight for the truth as those who love Jesus? 
If you're in here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. My prayer for you today is that you would examine what God has for you. Maybe you're in the midst of something really challenging or you will be. He already knows you. He knows your heart. He knows all about you. And he wants to know you at a deeper level. And so today as we wrap up this first chapter of Ruth and we spend these next few minutes looking at these few verses, we will get some really good insight into this tension that we all face between what we experience and who we are. So if you would pray with me, we're going to get into these few verses. God, thank you again for your love. Thank you for, God, the testimony of your grace that's been shared. Thank you that we get to gather here on this Sunday morning, May 20th, here in Green Lake, as we sang with breath in our lungs, that we get the opportunity to worship you, that we're not abandoned, that we're not left to our own devices, but we can be here And at the same time, God, realizing and knowing that we've brought things in with us. We've brought pain. We've brought our past. We've brought abuse. We've brought anxiety. We've brought mental illness. We've brought physical pain. We've brought marital strife. We've brought doubts. We've brought anger. We've brought bitterness. We bring it all in. But thank you for being a God who actually wants us to bring it to you. And so, God, would you just open our hearts today to be able to hear from you, receive your word, and in the midst of whatever we face, or whatever our community around us is facing, would we see you clearly? And so, Holy Spirit, move among us. Jesus, we pray these things in your name. Amen. So chapter one, we're going to start in verse 19. You heard it read. You can turn there. It's going to be up behind me as well. We'll just jump right into verse 19, and then we'll give some brief background here. It says, so the two of them, meaning Naomi and Ruth, the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? So brief brief background here, if you haven't been with us or you don't know too much about the book of Ruth, it starts out and there's a family, there's Naomi, this wife, with her husband, Elimelech, her two sons, and there's famine in the area in Bethlehem where they live, and so they go to find food, and they go to Moab. It's not too far away, but they make this journey to find food, so they obviously don't die. They don't plan to live there forever. They go for a time, and when they get to Moab, and they've, um, they're dwelling there, stuff starts to happen. It says that Elimelech, the patriarch, the father, he dies. It doesn't tell us how, it just says that he dies. Crisis number one, right? Something unexpected. Imagine that, you're in a foreign land, you're already struggling, you're a refugee, and the husband dies. So for Naomi, that was obviously incredibly difficult. For her two sons, that would have been difficult. And then it says that her two sons, they marry, all right? Maybe some silver lining here, maybe a new life, right, in the family, some new members to the family. This is exciting. We're talking about grandkids, right? You can see Naomi maybe being in a more positive state. She's thinking, all right, things are turning around. I lost a Limelech, but now my husband's, or, or, or my brother, or my sons are married, and they have wives, And then what happens? It says within a span of 10 years, both her sons die. You want to talk about crisis? This is crisis. You want to talk about things hitting rock bottom? Pretty much rock bottom. You want to talk about an opportunity for doubt, for questioning God? Because Naomi and her husband and her family, they were the people of God. They were the sons and daughters of God. They were in a land that that was not. They were in a land that worshiped false gods that sacrificed children. You want to talk about just saying, God, where are you and what's going on? This is it. 
No better example. And so Naomi's planning on going back to Bethlehem because the famine's now gone and she can return to her homeland and she's got two daughters-in-law and she says, hey, don't come with me. I've got nothing to offer you. I'm not gonna have more children. I'm too old and even if I could, would you wait to marry them? You have no business coming with me. And Orpah, one of the daughters-in-law, she goes back to her family. She goes and she, she stays. She remains in Moab. But Ruth is different. Ruth says in these very famous lines, she says, I'm not going anywhere. She says, where you go, I'm going to go. You're now my family. Your God will be my God. And she refuses to leave Naomi's side as they head back to Bethlehem. And that's where this picks up. And when they enter Bethlehem, it says the women were stirred. Everybody was stirred. The town was stirred. This isn't a huge town. Bethlehem's not big. It's a small town. They knew what had happened. The story had got back to them. Naomi lost her husband. Naomi lost her sons. They knew the loss that she had endured. I mean, imagine a group of brothers leaving a small town and going to war, right? And then the news comes back that only one of those brothers survived, and all of a sudden he walks back into town, worn down by life, absolutely emotionally destroyed, trying to figure out which way's down, which way's up. This is how Naomi comes back into town. And the women say, Is this Naomi? And she said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Naomi literally translate pleasant. Mara, bitter. Naomi has literally assumed a new identity. Out with the old, out with who she was prior to all this happening, and now she's assumed this new identity. She says, no longer call me Naomi. I'm no longer pleasant. You, you can call me Mara. I'm bitter. God has dealt bitterly with me. Why was this? Well, it was because of her circumstances. It was because of what went down. Not something that we can or should make light of. It's no small thing to lose your entire family. She lost her husband, lost her sons. Who wouldn't experience a wide range of emotions here? You see, the issue here, the dilemma here, the, the more than that, even the problem here, isn't that Naomi felt upset or bitter. God doesn't want us to be emotionally flatlined. Some people think that that's good, Right? that that's what it means to be even killed, just to be emotionally flatlined. No, that's dead. God doesn't want that for us. We've been given emotions. We feel emotions. We feel love. We feel sadness. We feel pain. We feel joy and celebration. We feel a wide range of emotions. God doesn't want us to put those away in a closet. He doesn't want us to shut those down. He wants us to be honest about those. So the issue here was not that Naomi wasn't being honest. She was. The issue here is that she allowed that bitterness to now become her prime identity, so much so that she would give herself a new name. And how did it get to this point? Well, Naomi just says it really clearly in verse 21. I went away full. I left full. I still had my husband. I had my sons, and we were looking for a place that would have food so we could live. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Here's what I want you to hear. Beware of allowing any circumstance to become your identity. Beware of allowing the pain that you face to become who you are. Beware of allowing the success that you find to become who you are. Beware of allowing any circumstance in your life to name you and become who you are. 
So much so to the point that because of what she had experienced, she believed God was now against her. Have you ever been there? Have you ever felt like God's against you? We can be honest in here. Maybe some of you have said, God, it doesn't really make sense that God would allow me to get sick. Is he against me? It doesn't make sense that God would allow me to lose my job. Is he against me? It doesn't make sense that my kids who were raised in the church, who I raised up to love Jesus, have now turned their back on the church. God, are you against me? It doesn't make sense that I would have to wrestle each day with crippling anxiety, with depression, with mental illness, physical pain. God, are you against me? It doesn't make sense that another year has passed and I'm still not married and I know that marriage is a good thing and I know that you say that you want us to get married and you want us to love each other but I still don't have a spouse so God are you against me? How does it make sense that my wife and I want so badly to have children, so badly to be parents, to experience pregnancy and to build a family and for myself five years later that still hasn't come to fruition. It makes me wonder sometimes, God are you against me? Can we be that honest? Naomi's being honest. She actually believed that based upon her circumstance that God was against her, and this became her new identity. And this is hard. This isn't easy. Christianese band-aids and sayings aren't going to cover up these wounds. These are gaping. But here's what I would say for myself and for all of us. At these times, in the crisis, in the pain, in the doubt, in the anger, where God wants us to go and where we need to go is deeper to see deeper, to fight for truth. We're gonna see what that truth looks like, but to fight for it with everything within us and when we can't, to allow the Holy Spirit to fight for us. Because for the long seasons of, as Ruth says, or as Naomi says, calamity, which is an event that leaves things in ruin, it becomes easier and easier to lose sight of who we are and to assume another identity. Maybe you did this as kids in school. Do you remember the penny thing with salt and vinegar? Nope, just me, doing experiments by myself. <laughs> no wonder, I thought I was special. My, my teachers would literally be like, Drew, you go do this over here. <laughs> Seriously, took me a while to figure that out. Here's what it is. If you haven't done this experiment, you got kids, go do it today. If you have salt, you have vinegar, you put a penny in, slowly it will start to erode that penny. The copper will um, leave, and eventually if you leave that penny in long enough, it'll completely disappear. I think long seasons that are especially challenging in our life, it becomes easier and easier and easier to assume false identities as those seasons go on. That we start to absorb our circumstance and we start to lose sight of who we really are. And maybe that's where you are right now. You know, if, if, if you looked back prior to whatever happened in your life, whatever that thing is that comes to your mind, prior to that, you might say, man, I was... I was more positive, I was more hopeful, I was the encourager, I was the one who built other people up, I was the one who saw the glass half full, I, I was going out and I was serving others, I was listening to others, I was praying for others, my relationship with God was great, all of these amazing things, but now you look at your life, you look at yourself honestly in this mirror and you would say, that's, that's not how I see myself anymore. That's not how my friends see me anymore. That's not how my family sees me anymore. This person who was this has now become this because of this thing being dropped right in the middle like a tornado in my life. And now this thing, whatever it is, it's the only thing that we think about. It's the only thing that we talk about. It's the only thing that affects our emotional state. You see, what I find interesting here in these verses is that Naomi 
she rightly attributes her circum- she, she attributes her circumstances rightly to a sovereign God in complete control. He is in control, absolutely. But she only sees what he's taken away. You see, our grief blinds us. It's a lot like the Neuralizer in Men in Black, which for those who are younger, uh, was a movie <laughs> made back in the good old days of 1997, starring Will Smith. But if you know that movie, The Neuralizer, right? It was this uh, little pin-shaped deal that it, it would erase your memory. Depending on what setting that it was on, it would erase your memory for minutes, hours, days, weeks, months, or years. And I think for a lot of us, it can be like that. When we face something difficult, when we go through a painful season, whatever that pain is, it can often do the same. The heavier the pain, the harder it is to remember the good that was, or even currently is. Specifically, how God has been good to us and how he continues to be good in in big ways and sometimes just in small ways. Sometimes it's in everyday ways. Sometimes it's literally just having to grab onto the fact that you woke up this morning. I, I don't say that oversimplistically. Sometimes your day is so bad you don't want to get out of bed and the only thing that maybe you can grab onto that seems like grace at all is a breath that you can grab onto. Thank God for that. To be able to see the good in the midst of the pain can be one of the most challenging things, especially the heavier the pain gets, the longer the season gets. Here's what, here's what I want you to see here. Naomi was honest, which is great, but she was wrong. One, God wasn't against her. And two, she wasn't completely empty. God had given her a husband. He had blessed her with sons. He had given her two daughters-in-law and one that refused to leave her side. What some of us wouldn't give for a friend like that, especially in a city like this. Someone that would not be willing to leave your side, that says, I'm going to be with you in it and through it, through thick and thin. I'm not leaving you. You're now my family, and you don't have anything that you can offer me except for your pain, but I'm not going away from you. Looks a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? Looks a lot like Jesus. It's almost like God knows what he's doing in this book, wanting to show us Jesus. That Ruth is saying, I'm not leaving you, and I don't care what you do, and you can try to push me away, and you can cry, and you can be broken, and you can be angry, but I'm not leaving your side. Thank God for Jesus that does the same in our lives, that he won't leave us, that he won't abandon us. Had Naomi had a lot of things taken from her? Yes. Have you had things taken from you? Undoubtedly, yes. But God has not left her completely empty, and he has not left you completely empty. And if you have a relationship with Jesus, you need to look no further than the fact that you still have him. Naomi had Ruth, but she couldn't really see that, and it makes sense because of everything going on in and around her. And so it begs this question, is it possible to experience grief, pain, frustration, doubt, sadness, and simultaneously experience gratitude, hope, and even joy? And the answer is yes. It's possible to do both. You know, this past week, we saw something horrific. Gosh, two days ago, we saw another school shooting. We saw another school shooting in Texas, which is horrific. And and at the end of the service, we're going to be praying for that community because, again, you can't think of a bigger crisis than losing your kids, you know, than the family that lost their, their, the teacher who, who gave their life, the community who's saying, what now? Where's God in the midst of this? But around that same time as that shooting, that also marked the six-month anniversary for the other shooting that happened in Texas and Sutherland at the church where 26 people lost their life. 
And I was watching the news and I was listening and, and I was actually simultaneously trying to do some sermon prep. ADD, to have to do multiple things. And I heard this line and it was amazing coming from one of the people who had lost a lot of people. One of the fathers who had lost a lot of family members in that shooting. And here's, here's what they said. Someone asked them about it and they said, at this six month, at the recommission of the church, they said, yes, there was grief and there was mourning. There was also hope and joy. And I was like, man, what an interesting tension. There's grief and mourning for what we've lost, for what may never be, for what we're unsure of. But at the same time, there's hope and joy for whose hands we know we're in and for what we know God will do. Not only is it possible, but it's necessary to see the good in the midst of crisis, in the midst of pain, to fight for it is absolutely necessary to keep our true identity intact during these times. For Naomi, real pain, real bitterness. Nobody's trying to diminish that. Nobody's trying to push it away. But Ruth was a gift to Naomi and something to be grateful for. Laura and I were talking about this just a few weeks ago. We were walking by our house and we were talking about the process they were with adoption. It's been a long process. It's been a tough process. Won't lie to you. It's been the hardest thing we've ever gone through in our entire lives. It's made us question things about God that we never questioned before. It's made us bitter at times. It's made us angry at times. It's made us feel hopeless at times. It's made us just sad. Sometimes it just makes us numb. But it was a nice night, and we were walking, and we were having this conversation, and we were reflecting on this very thing, that this season right now, just waiting, it's a tough season. But then we got into this conversation about how in the midst of it, though, we've seen so many people, so many of you come around us. We've been more encouraged at times than we've ever been before. We've seen an outpouring of love and care and sometimes people just listening to us as we gripe and complain. And we talked about how important it is to still see those things even in the midst of the pain. To not lose sight of what's good even though everything's not good. And I believe in those times, that's a lot of times what it looks like for us to be sanctified in Christ. You know what James talks about, the trials and temptations, the things that we go through, the striving that we have to fight, luckily with the Holy Spirit within us, but fight to see the good even in the midst of the bad because that's how God's growing us to ultimately see him more clearly. That we don't just give up, that we don't just turn away, that we don't just oversimplify it, but we have to strain Strain through to see the goodness in the midst of the pain. Something took over the internet this week. This debate, this battle between Yanni and Laurel. Maybe you heard this, maybe you didn't. I got into a, um, a real big debate with some family members. We were on vacation in Charleston and I was like, that, that's not saying that. Um, if you don't know, there's a sound wave, this, this sound bit that got put out on the internet and basically broke it. And you listen to the same thing and some people hear the word Yanni and some people hear this word laurel. And I was like, I was hearing Yanni and I was like, there's no way that you hear this other thing. Something's wrong with you. We might need to take you to the doctor right now. And they're like, you're crazy. There's no way that you're hearing that thing. And so, um, yeah, just very confusing. So I got back and as I do, I got on the interwebs to do some research to figure out what's up with this thing and are we all having mental breakdowns? And, and what I found out is that this was more of an experiment that, that these sound waves were put together 
And depending upon how your mind works, immediately when you heard these sound waves, you would either grab onto one or the other. It's kind of a psychological experience just to mess with us, right? And so your mind would immediately grab onto one or the other. You wouldn't hear a mix at all. And, and the reality is, is neither one were correct. What you're really hearing isn't Yanni. What you're really hearing isn't Laurel. It's this mashup, but your mind grabs onto it. And I think that in hard seasons, sometimes we grab onto either it's really good or it's really bad. It's either black or it's white. Our identity is going to be based upon really good circumstances or really bad circumstances. And the reality is, is neither is correct. And when we allow this to happen, we'll either have a fear of failing because of our self-sufficiency and losing the identity that we've built based upon the circumstances we find ourselves in, or we'll have a fear of the future and how it will cement who we fear that we really are. It's not that clear. It's not my best day, and it's not my worst day. It's not the best circumstance in life, the greatest joy in life. It's not the hardest experience that you'll ever go through. There's a better reality. There's one that as we go through this book in Ruth, we'll see Naomi return to, that she will once again realize. Here's what it says, these last verses. Here are these. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, they returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. This is amazing. The reason that it tells us this was the beginning of the barley harvest isn't insignificant, it's incredibly significant. This is the beginning of the feast of first fruits. This was a time of new life after the long death of winter. It's not by happenstance that Naomi and Ruth are coming back at this time, after a long death, after losing husbands, after losing brothers. They're coming back during this time that there's new life. This is a foreshadowing of Christ who's coming after death to bring new life. The promise that in the darkest days of your life, there is still hope. The promise of an eternal future without pain. Believe it or not, we are going there. We will get there. With Jesus, that's what's coming. That the pain in your past, that the abuse that you face, that the physical trouble that you see, that the mental anguish that you face, the hard seasons of loss, of physical failings, whatever it may be, job loss, not knowing what's next, we are moving toward a day that's being ushered in. When we see Jesus face to face, he wipes our tears, no more pain, no more calamity, no more hardship, and that's ultimately the hope that we're striving for. That's what Jesus offers us. That's what this is a foreshadowing of, is that there's been loss and there's been pain and there will be. As long as you live, you're gonna face it. But don't you dare face it alone. Jesus gave his life so you wouldn't face it alone. Jesus, as Lauren said, has the scars to remind you that he gets your pain and he's experienced far more pain than you and I ever will that we don't need to take on the identity of Mara, being bitter or anything else, because Jesus already took all the bitterness of sin and put it to death with finality. What I find great hope in, especially knowing my own rebellious heart here, is that even when Naomi claims a new identity, God still doesn't leave her, as we'll see. He doesn't walk away. He doesn't abandon her. He doesn't do what other people do. He doesn't say, well, if that's who you want to be, then that's who you are, and you can go your way, and I'll go my way. No, he still pursues, because he's that good, even in the midst of hurt, even in the midst of doubts, even in the midst of pain. He doesn't walk away, because although she might currently be believing in a false identity, and this could be true for you and I right now as we sit in this room, 
because we often do this, her true identity is firm. In Christ, your true identity is firm. If you have a relationship with Jesus, your true identity is firm. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, he wants to offer you a new identity, a new name. He wants to take your past, he wants to take your sin, he wants to take your anger, he wants to take your doubts. He already took it to the cross. He just wants to give you the grace that he's offered thousands of years ago and he offers to you today to have a new name. Without Christ, our identity is enemy. It's true that we're an enemy of his because of the sin that is in our life. But in Christ, when we experience the grace that he offers, hear this. You're not your pain. You're not your pain. You are not your past, no matter how checkered it may be. You are not a label. If you're not married in here, you are not single. You're not that label. That's not who you are. First and foremost, you're a son or daughter of God. If you're widowed in here, if you've lost a spouse, that's not ultimately your identity, although that's a reality in your life. First and foremost, you're a son or daughter of God. If you don't have kids, first and foremost, you're not barren. You're a son or daughter of God. If you don't have your health intact, first and foremost, you're not sick. You're a son or daughter of God. If you doubt God's very present in your life, first and foremost, you're not your doubts. If you've confessed Christ, you're a son and daughter of God. You are not what others will say you are based on where you find yourself at this moment in Christ. First and foremost, you are completely loved, completely forgiven, son and daughters of God. Although it may be hard to believe and feel that that's true, it absolutely is. I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters. 2 Corinthians 6.18, that is a promise. This is your truest identity so for don't, don't forget in the hard times and in the difficulty that God has given you a new name, son and daughter. You may not see the complete picture, how the story unfolds, what it's all going to look like, but will we strive to trust that God loves us, that he has good for us, even when we try to run, even when doubts come? And so the real question is, where do we go from here? Where would God want Naomi to go from here? Where do you and I go from here? And I believe we either go to remembering or we go to reminding. And at different seasons in life, it will be one or the other. For some of you, you're in such a difficult spot right now, or you're just in a tough spot. Wherever you might be, you need to go to remembering. When was the last time that you gave yourself five minutes just to sit with God in his word or in silence or in prayer and allow allow yourself to remember who he says that you are? Have you done that lately? What I find is that we can spend a lot more time trying to figure things out, trying to make things better, trying to fix life when really the best place we could go first is, and, and really just sit there is with God listening to who he says we are. That he says we're clean, that he says we're loved, that he says we're his children, that he says he's adopted us. If you're hurting and you haven't gone there, go there. Go there, sit with him, allow him to remind you. When was the last time you allowed others in your community to remind you? by sitting with you, by gently coming around you, by encouraging you, not with platitudes, not with Christian jargon, but encouraging you that Jesus is in it with you, that you're not alone. For some of us, we need to remember, and we need to carve out the time to remember, and we need to remember daily. For others of us, we need to be reminders. I guarantee you, In life group this week, 
there will be individuals in your life group who are here or somewhere in this spectrum, and they need you to remind them. They need you to remind them that you love them. They need you to remind them that their father loves them. They need you to remind them that there are those around them that care for them, that are willing to bear the burden with them, that are willing to support them, that are willing to sit in the gutter with them, no matter how long it takes, no matter how hard the rain gets, no matter how bad things feel, you're not alone. That's what this city needs. That's what our neighbors need. We need a greater hope. We need a greater reality. We need a greater future, and there's no other place to go but Jesus. And so if you're in a good season right now, if maybe this season is a season of joy and celebration, don't just get selfish. Don't just hoard it all for yourself. No, look for those around you who are hurting, who are wounded, and go and help patch them up. That's what it means to care for one another. That's what it means to be a family. We need this. This is what Naomi needs. This is what Ruth is literally doing in her life. Show the love of God that we are moving toward a greater hope in Christ. So where do we go? We either need to remember or we need to remind. Here's what I would say as we wrap this up. In the brightest and the darkest days, remember, you are not your circumstance. Let me say it again. You are not your circumstance. You are ultimately and forever in Christ a beloved child of God period.